2019, there was a woman who purchased a lottery ticket from a local convenience store. And it ended up that that lottery ticket uh, won and she got $1.5 billion out of that lottery ticket. And what's interesting about that whole event is that it would not have happened had it not been for an act of humility because she found herself in line to get that lottery ticket. And there was another person nearby, but she was certainly ahead of that person. But, but she said, go ahead, you can, you can go ahead of me in line. And that person went ahead of her in line. That person ended up purchasing the very same type of lottery ticket. And theirs, of course, which often is the case, was worth nothing. And she purchased that same type of lottery ticket and won $1.5 billion. A small act of humility led to a life-changing event. Now, I mention that not to say that humility in life will guarantee us wealth and riches. That, that's not the case. And I'm certainly not advocating that using the lottery is a great way to advance our wealth. I wouldn't say that as well. I mention that story because it does lead us to a very important conversation. It's about this quality known as humility. And it's essentially humility is love being expressed in putting another first. And so that's what we're going to talk about today. And we talk about it because humility tends to not be a very common trait in our culture. In fact, our culture, when it comes to this, is upside down. It is a me first culture. Yet if there is one prevailing characteristic of Jesus... It's you first. He's the one who lays down his life for us. And if there's something that reveals to us more and more what's actually in our own hearts, it's this quality. This quality of humility or the absence of us of it can, can reveal to us just how far we might be from the heart of God. But I, I think even to talk about humility is strange because the moment we give examples of it, we don't have it anymore. You know, hey, let me tell you this great story about how humble I was. Wow, that was awesome. You're going to love it. No, we, we can't do that. Humility, it's, it's like underwear. It's really, really important. But the minute we see it, something's wrong, you know, or you're in downtown Eugene, either way. But either way, it's bad. Humility is unique to us in that way. Yet we also know it's so essential because the whole of Scripture points to a creator God who humbles himself to his own creation. If anything matters to us, then as Christ followers, this should matter. So as we continue in our series that we're calling Our Living Hope, we hear these words of Peter as he's writing to a people in crisis, a people under great pressure, a people under persecution, and he's asking them not to live in such a way that they're trying to elevate themselves, but to live in such a way that they are laying their lives down for one another, to live in humility. And the first thing this passage shows us about that is this, humility is a kingdom essential. Let's read it from 1 Peter chapter 5, 1 through 4. In fact, let's read this together right where you are. Big voices go to the elders among you. I appeal as a fellow elder and a witness of Christ's sufferings, 
who also will share in the glory to be revealed. Be shepherds of God's flock that is under your care, watching over them, not because you must, but because you are willing, as God wants you to be, not pursuing dishonest gain, but eager to serve, not lording it over those entrusted to you, but being examples to the flock. And when the chief shepherd appears, you will receive the crown of glory that will never fade away. In the same way, you who are younger, submit yourselves to your elders. Here's what this passage is saying. It's saying to the elders, be watchful and gentle with those you are, are around, those you are serving to the younger folks. It's saying, do the same thing. This is all about serving one another. And don't do it because you must, but do it because you're willing. I love that. Don't do this because you have to. Do this because you want to. This is a picture of humility, and it stands out in our world because, as we know, our culture is all about self. It's all about what can I get for me? And if you want to know if that's the case, just think about a couple of these scenarios. Think about your response when a family member's birthday is somehow celebrated way better than yours was celebrated. Ooh, how does that make you feel? Think about your response when another person at your work gets that promotion that you have been working super hard to try to get, but they get it instead. Think about your response when you're on that team and you realize that someone else plays your position way better than you do. Is your response like, oh, hey, that's great. That's going to be really good for my team. Or is it, oh, no, that's bad for me. And maybe you start praying for just a small injury for that person, just a little one, nothing permanent, just to keep them out of that spot so that you can have your place back. See, this is where humility asks us to live. And this is completely opposite of our culture because our culture is built on selfishness. And so if you want to truly be counter-cultural, then follow Jesus because he'll say, I want you to put others above you. I want you to serve those around you. That I don't look to my interests, I look to yours. That I don't look to my own accolades, I look to yours. That I don't look to my needs, I look to yours. That in genuine humility, we're not in the equation. It's Jesus and others that are. As C.S. Lewis wrote, humility is not about thinking less of myself. It's about thinking of myself less. And in that, I can actually desire the success of others more than I desire my own success. And then you may ask, well, why would I live like that? Here's why. The corporate ladder of the kingdom goes down, not up. The corporate ladder of God's kingdom goes down, not up. Success in God's kingdom is not found in how many people I lord over. No, it's found in how many people I serve under. There's an amazing example of this in Matthew 15. This woman comes to Jesus. She is a foreigner in that culture, in some ways maybe not, not viewed as, as great in that culture. And she comes to Jesus, and she's asking Jesus to heal her daughter, who is very, very sick. 
And Jesus, it's like he's testing her. And so he says something to her that sounds kind of mean, but you can almost say Jesus saying it with a smile and a wink. So she comes and says, hey, Jesus, would you please heal my daughter? And he says, well, you know, actually I came for the children of Israel. You know, I, I can't take their bread and give it to the dogs, can I? And her reply is beautiful. She says, yeah, but even the dogs get scraps from the table, don't they? And what does Jesus say about her? He says, your faith is great. And her daughter was healed in that moment. Why was her faith great? Because her humility was great. She said, I don't even need a seat at the table. I'm just happy to be near you, Jesus. Whatever you have for me is enough. And and the question for us amidst all that is happening in our lives is would we say the same thing to Jesus? Whatever you have for me is enough. See, often in life, I think we spend so much time, we're just trying, trying to scramble for position. So I'll step on you or I'll step around you or I'll do anything to get ahead, anything to succeed. And Jesus calls us to the exact opposite. That only those who are willing to make themselves last will ever truly be first. So the question is, will we trust him there? Will we live like this? This is what Jesus invites us to, to actually be servants of all. And this is why it's so important. It's only when we take Jesus at his word that we experience Jesus in our world. We have to believe him that this is the way we're supposed to live. In the gospel, we are saved by grace, but that grace must change us. How we act with one another. And it starts by by allowing us to actually see people differently. Even people who do not yet see. Even folks that don't yet see God's work in themselves. It's this idea of common grace. That even though you may not yet acknowledge God, I know that he's still working in you and he's still loving you and he still has a calling on your life. And so I don't see myself as any better than you. I'm just another recipient of God's gift of grace. And I just long for you to have that as well. Humility shows that kind of heart change. It lets us love and appreciate every person simply because they're an expression of the imago Dei, of the image of God. It's like this, when I uh, have a voodoo donut, um, I don't know if the people who made that voodoo donut are Christ followers or not, but even in that, I can still appreciate the artistry. That is a beautiful gift. That is an amazing donut. So I'm grateful for the artistry. It is the gift of God in them, right? I have a family member who's an atheist at this point in his life, But it wasn't long ago that he saw somebody on the street and they looked cold to him. And in that moment, he took off his best jacket off of his own back and he gave it to them. And I can appreciate that and I can be challenged by his compassion because it's still God's heart in him, whether he sees God in himself or not. See, until we value the image of God in all people, we'll continue to appear as arrogant to all people. Because in so many subtle and not so subtle ways, we're just saying to others, 
You're not enough for me. You're just so far from my level of goodness. And this doesn't mean that we we don't have something to say to a broken world. No, we have much to say. But we must understand this. The things of God that I say to others are far better heard when partnered with the things of God that I see in others. That I see him in you. And I see God in in every person. And this is a different foundation for us. It is a foundation of humility. And we can't live without it. Because humility is a kingdom essential. It's the first thing. Here's the second thing. Humility is a personal choice. Let's continue the passage. 1 Peter 5, 5 through 7. Let's read it. Big voices go. All of you clothe yourselves with humility toward one another because God opposes the proud but shows favor to the humble. Humble yourselves, therefore, under God's mighty hand that he may lift you up in due time. Cast all your anxiety on him because he cares for you. It says humble yourself. Clothe yourself in humility. Put it on. Choose it for yourself. Why? Because Jesus chose it for himself. Jesus emptied himself. He did so in obedience in order to make room for God's purpose and God's plan. Humility leads us to that kind of choice. It's a choice to be empty, a choice to not seek equality, to not grasp and claw, and yet our world wants us to grasp and claw to do whatever it takes to roll over anyone and to leave this carnage in our wake of life. So the question we must ask ourselves in order to reveal our own hearts is this. Am I serving people because I love God or am I serving people because I love myself? Sometimes it can look the same. Because serving people just to get something for me is using people. Luke 14, Jesus speaks of these places of honor at the wedding feast at at the table. And he says, don't sit in the, the best seats, the highest up seats at the table. Don't start there because somebody better might come and they might ask you to step down. That would be humiliating. He says, no, sit at the lowest part of the table. And then if the master wants to, they'll ask you to sit in a better seat. Here's the test for us. Am I constantly willing to choose the worst seat at the table and trust God that he can change that if he wants to or he can leave me right there at that seat? Because that step, that requires faith. That requires a trust in him. I think for many of us, our goal is always it's just the best seat, right? You always just want the best seat. But is that really what God wants for us? Because fighting for my best seat requires no faith. Because in that, I'm only trusting myself. I just got to get the best seat. But choosing the worst seat, it requires great faith. Because in that, I'm trusting God to lift me up if he desires to. Trusting God to actually know where the best seat is for me. This illustration of the table It's a picture of kingdom life. 
That if there's something we should be fighting over, we should be fighting over who gets the worst seat at the table. Fighting over who gets the last place in line. Fighting over who gets to clean the toilets. That's what we should be fighting for. I mean, if you really want to see where you land on the humility scale, here's an easy test. You don't have to look any farther than your own living room and that tiny wand of power known as the remote control. And in that, you have to ask the question, am I willing to watch that Hallmark movie when I'd really much rather watch Rocky IV? It's a tough call. It requires humility. These are the tests. And here's why we must pass them. Humility tangibly expresses our understanding of grace. Because if I know that I have been given so much in God's grace, then it is nothing for me to defer to you in humility because I realize I'm not here because of what I did for me. I'm here because of what Jesus has done for me. There's a story of a man, uh, he met with a gentleman in his office and he's in this gentleman's office and he notices this picture on the wall of, of a turtle on a fence post. And he points it out to the person he was meeting with. He said, that's an interesting picture. That, that's a kind of cool thing. I haven't seen that. And the gentleman whose office it was, he says, yeah, well, that, that's my favorite picture. He says, really? Why, why is that your favorite picture? He said, well, it's for this reason. If you see a turtle sitting on a fence post, you know that he had some help to get there. <laughs> Wherever you are with God, you are there because of God's help. Wherever we are with God, we are there because of God's help. This is why arrogance has no place in the Christ follower's life. We didn't do this. Jesus did this. I love what Samuel Morse, the inventor of the telegraph, said after he received all these honors for that invention. This is what he said. He said, I have made a valuable application of electricity, not because I was superior to other men, but solely because God, who meant it for mankind, must reveal it to someone, and he was pleased to reveal it to me. We don't win because we're just winners. We win because Jesus won for us. So the only proper response in my heart then is humility. And in this, we learn to serve with no reward in mind. That we clean the house when it's not our turn, that we choose to bless our parents even though they're difficult, that we, we, we serve that neighbor who throws loud parties, that you wash your friend's dog even though the dog is ugly, you know, all those things. Why? Because that is choosing humility. We're putting it on. And when you do this, you'll see something happen. James 4.10 says, Humble yourselves before the Lord and he will lift you up. If we humble ourselves, God can then lift us. Because guess what? In life, friends, either way, we are going to be humbled. But we can either humble ourselves through wisdom or God can humble us 
through consequences. We choose. It's like this. Uh, There's a small boy. He was sent to bed by his father, and then uh, dad went to bed. And about five minutes later, you could hear the boy down the hall, Dad! Dad says, what is it, son? Dad, I'm thirsty. Could you bring me a glass of water? Dad says, no, no, it's too late. It's lights out. It's time for bed. Go to sleep, son. Okay. Another five minutes goes by. Dad! What is it, son? Dad, I'm really thirsty. Can you please bring me a glass of water? No, son. It's bedtime. It's lights out. You don't get a glass of water. And if you ask again, I'm going to have to go in there and spank you. Quiet happens again. Five minutes later. Dad! What is it, son? When you come in to spank me, can you bring me a glass of water? (laughs) Same end, but a much more painful route to get there. Wisdom and consequence are like that. Wisdom is to choose humility rather than having humility chosen for us. Don't wait for God to do it. Humble yourself because humility is a personal choice. That's the second thing. Here is the last thing. Humility is a spiritual weapon. 1 Peter 5, verses 8 through 10. Let's read it together. Big voices, go. Be alert and of sober mind. Your enemy, the devil, prowls around like a roaring lion looking for someone to devour. Resist him, standing firm in the faith, because you know that the family of believers throughout the world is undergoing the same kind of sufferings. And the God of all grace, who called you to his eternal glory in Christ, after you have suffered a little while, will himself restore you and make you strong, firm, and steadfast. To him be the power forever and ever. Amen. He's telling us that humility is actually what allows us to win in God's kingdom. (laughs) See, we see humility as a weakness. God sees it as a weapon. That through all of this, through, through the enemy of our lives, through the suffering we experience, that eventually if we would walk with Jesus in humility, we will be restored. We will actually come out as victors. Again, Jesus is our example here. The great sacrifice of Jesus allowed him to walk in the fullness of his great reward. He he was exalted. He was given the name above every name. So it is because of Christ's great humility that God was able to meet him with the greatest exaltation. That's how Jesus won. That was his reward. Now, only Jesus will walk in that reward, you know, having the name above all names, that greatest exaltation. But the principle for us is this. The farther down we go, the higher God can raise us. As we walk in our humility, God can say yes to our reward. It's like as a parent watching my boys grow up, we were constantly monitoring their hearts and just kind of the, the stance of their hearts. And if I heard from my kids this, this ideas of, well, well, mom and dad, I deserve that, or, or I'm entitled to that, or I'm going to throw a fit to get that, our response to them was always, well, then you're going to get nothing. But if out of their hearts it was a different posture, 
if we heard from them, mom and dad, I appreciate that. And I'm grateful for that. And I, I, I love that you would think of me like that. And, and, and bless you, Father. And there's no better dad than you. I'm still waiting for those lines to come. But, but if that was to come out of them, our response would be, yes, you get everything. We want to give to you with that heart. This is what humility leads us to. Humility keeps us from forfeiting the best gifts of God. Where I say to God, I'm choosing to trust you over what makes sense to me. That's humility. To trust God that your ways are higher. To do that, it means I must place my ways lower. It's that heart of humility in the midst of suffering that will lead us to God's restoration and God's strength. This is how we win the battle because humility is a spiritual weapon. I'll wrap up with this. This is a story I've told before, but I think it makes sense uh, for what we're talking about today. There's a little girl and she was with her dad and she saw a, a dime store that they're looking and shopping at and she saw these fake pearls at the dime store and she just loved them. And so she went home and was able to do some chores to save up enough money that she could go and purchase these cheap dime store pearls. And she loved them so much that she wore them all the time. She wore them in the bathtub, she wore them in the pool, she wore them every day, all the time, never took them off. And they started to notice as parents that because it was cheap, cheap jewelry that her neck was turning green as a result of this necklace. And so her father came to her one night as he's tucking her into bed and, and he said, sweetie, do you love me? And she said, oh yes, dad, I, I love you so much. He said, well, you know, since you love me, you, you should you should give me your pearls. And she said, oh, dad, I do love you, but, but you can't have my pearls. Uh, you could have my baby doll. You could have that if you want, but you can't have my pearls. And dad said, oh, no, that's, that's okay. I don't need your baby doll. Have a great night. Love you. Good night. Next night comes. Same conversation. Sweetie, do, do you love me? Oh, yeah, dad, I, I do love you. Well, I, I think you should give me your pearls. Oh, no, dad, I, I, I couldn't give you my pearls. I could give you my horse figurine. If you want that, you could take that, but I, I could never give you my pearls. That's, a, that's okay. You don't have to give me your horse. It's fine. I love you. Have a great night's sleep. This went on night after night for several nights. And then this one night, father came into her room and she wasn't in bed like normal. She was seated on her bed this night and her back was to him and she could just, he could just see her, her face from the side and, and he could tell that she was crying. His daughter was crying and there, her lip was quivering and there was a tear just rolling down the side of her cheek. And without saying a word, she just lifted up her little hand and opened it, revealing those dime store pearls. And in a moment, her father took the pearls out of her hand, reached into his pocket and pulled out a velvet case and placed it in her little hand where the girl opened it up and saw that he had purchased for her a strand of genuine pearls. He'd had them in his pocket all the time. He was just waiting for her to finally let go in order to make room for something better. I know all of us 
are feeling this pull in these times to, to, to try to hang on to these things that seem to be slipping away. Yet what if we could let go? What if we could really trust Jesus for, for how we are to live and how we are to relate to one another? It seems like maybe Jesus is just waiting for us to let go so that he can finally then give us something better. Are you tired of grasping and clawing for so many things? Whether it's fear that motivates that or, or pride or insecurity that you're just trying to seek for yourself and you're so afraid of what would happen if, if I stopped looking out for me. Could it be that because of that, we're missing the best gifts of all? Humility is not gauged by what we're able to grasp, but by what we're willing to let go. So what do you need to let go of today? Would you give that to Jesus? For it's in that letting go, that choosing of humility, that we find ourselves finally able to win.